Welcome, and thanks for joining me, Keen Barclay, on Down the Tunnel. It's one thing to be involved in the game. It's a whole other level when you spend your life not only creating new pathways for the game, but also new resources for coaches to continue to develop. Our guest today has achieved so much success, not only as a player or coach, but also as a founder of one of the most well-known and respected clubs in the Midwest, and most recently, a co-founder of NL Tactical Boards, a resource for coaches to continue to find new ways to help players to develop. With all that being said, one of the mantras of our guest today is that he wants to continue to learn, continue to get better. What a concept. Always learning, always open to new ideas, and constantly looking to improve. Something I couldn't agree more with. Today, we go down the tunnel with Vardar Soccer founder and NL Tactical Board co-founder, Michael Lupinek. Michael Lupinek, welcome to the show. How you doing? Nice to be with you. Yeah, I know. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Well, let's uh, let's kind of talk about how you got involved in, in football and, and where it all started for you. Well, it all started, uh, to be honest with you, I was born in Welland, Ontario. Um, we had seven kids in our family. Uh, my parents are Ukrainian descent. Uh, moved to Canada. You know, he was a steel worker. And to be totally honest with you, he didn't put us in uh, in youth soccer. It was uh, our next door neighbor who was a, a Hungarian man, uh, Mr. Gaspar, that uh, loved soccer a lot and seen me and my twin brother Morris play in the backyard a lot and decided to pay the fees to get us involved in soccer. And that's where it all began. Man, that, talk uh, about community supporting each other. How awesome is that? Yeah, I mean, uh, in those days, it was a little bit different than it is now. You know, uh, you know, the clubs are basically parents that, you know, gave up their time. And a lot of them were from uh, Italy and, you know, uh, European countries uh, that came into Canada. And, uh, you know, my my coach basically played for an Italian club called uh, Mario's Electric. And then, uh, you know, after that, uh, you know, I played... Uh, you know, travel soccer. We won the Ontario Cup, so we had a very good team in Welland. Uh, you know, and then after Welland, uh, I basically, uh, you know, I, I took a different route and went to St. Thomas University in in New Brunswick, and my brother decided to go to Oakland University in the States. I uh, played soccer over there in New Brunswick for a year and then decided uh, to transfer into Oakland the following year. So ended up at Oakland University, played there for, Three years uh, after I graduated, played uh, the only professional league was in Windsor. Played for the Windsor Wheels professionally for two or three years. Won a Canadian championship. Uh, beat a team called Montreal Impact, which is an MLS club now. But in those days, a lot of the teams were like Toronto Italia, Toronto Croatia. Uh, you know, we had a Yugoslavian coach, an Italian owner that brought in players from Yugoslavia, Brazil. Uh, United States, Canada. So we had a very good team. And I think we're the only team that ever won the Canadian championship uh, 
you know, I think it was 1988 to 1990. So after that, I ended up in the States, uh, got married uh, after I graduated from Oakland. Uh, My first coaching job was uh, in a high school in, in Warren, just a high school job. And then I was fortunate enough to become an assistant coach at the University of Detroit with uh, uh, Mr. Stankovic, who put me on board for two years. And then my brother, who was an assistant at Oakland, I'm inside, decided to uh, take the UAD job that opened up. And I was his assistant also for a year. And then when the women's job opened up at UAD, uh, I took the women's job, which was a huge transition from men's to women. Uh, but stayed there for 25 years. And, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to mention also me and my brother started a club called Vardar. Uh, you know, we started off with one team, the 72s, which had players, uh, you know, all the majority of them went professional. Mike Clark, Columbus Crew, Brian Mazinoff, who the Oakland, uh, Ohio State head men's soccer coaches right now, played in the World Cup. He was part of that team, but. So special team at 16 years old, I think they won the U19 State Cup and made it to the regional final. So uh, we started a club. We still have the youth club now. We play in the MLS Academy. Uh, you know, and then we have an East Neal uh, branch also for the girls' side. Um, you know, that's basically my history. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, like, what did you ever envision that Vardar would get as big as it is now when you guys first started it? No, I mean, and, and to be honest with you, at the time, uh, you know, we, there was a gentleman, his name was Mr. Sawicki, he was based out of uh, Livonia, Michigan. And at that time, if you lived in Troy or lived in a specific city, you had to play for that city. So he was the first pioneer in regards to uh, uh, deciding that, you know, that wasn't fair. He was going to make an all-star team uh, to compete with all the better clubs out of state and put together, you know, the first Vardar team. And then uh, we were basically based out of the East side, but we had players from all over the state. And then uh, another gentleman by the name of Paul Cicluna, uh, uh, who coached at Eastern Michigan, also started the Michigan Wolves. And to this day, those are the two premier clubs in Michigan right now in regards to uh, developing players. And, uh, you know, both of us have a MLS academy. And we're still more rivals, but less rivals than we were in the past. You know, it's more of a friendship now than a big rivalry because we're competing for kids now. But, you know, and I know there's clubs popping up every year. So, uh, you know, it's a big business now compared to it was when we first started. Yeah, I mean, you know, Wolves and, and Vardar aren't just known in Michigan, but that's it's a pretty nationally known club in terms of the type of success they've had. Uh, with you know both boys and girls and just at player development like it's become quite a little machine yeah I'm, you know we're fortunate enough that it you know that we're we're still doing what, what we truly love i'm sure the wolves feel the same way uh just because of all the clubs that are popping up but you know we we keep the standards up we have good coaches we have good staff uh it's not all done by yourself i mean uh, without good coaches and good managers and uh, you know, uh, our administration and stuff to keep us going, uh, we wouldn't be here today. So it's not only us starting it. I think it's all the people that have put in the hard work over the years. 
just to kind of watch it blossom into what it is now. So you obviously learned and know Michigan, the state of Michigan, pretty well then. Yes. So what did you find some of the differences between when you were at uh, Detroit versus when you were at Oakland? Like, what did that look like? Well, I mean, when when I played at Oakland, uh, it basically was, you know, it was different soccer. It was, you know, I was a stopper. It was a man-marking system. Uh, you know, it was a different style in those days. Uh, you know, it was a little bit more physical. I think we got away with a lot more than we did, you know, in today's game. Uh, you know, I think even some of the old pros would tell you that even in the EPL and stuff like that. But, you know, I remember, you know, telling people like, uh, you know, in those days you can get a yellow card every game and not get suspended. So, you know, I always tell people I got the record for yellow cards because I had 18 in one year. So every, every game I had a card, but it was my job to make a statement. And some forwards, you know, went backwards and some forwards made it a war. But the ones that went backwards, I already do that at once. So, uh, you know, but uh, now you get suspended. So I think they changed the rule. I don't know if it was because of me or what, but you know what? I mean, uh, you know, in those days, it was a little bit more physical. Uh you know, and I think, you know, the, you know, we had to fight for everything we got. You know, I think now, you know, I just think it's different. The culture's different. Uh, I think, uh, you know, and, and there was more loyalty in those days. You know, if you, you belong to a club, you kind of stayed with that club all the way through. Now it seems like people just jump clubs based on wins and losses. And, you know, which is sad to see because I think uh, – you know, that's not the important part of development is the wins and losses. Do you definitely want to win? But the whole thing about development is learning, you know, from those losses also. Yeah, I was going to say, being someone who's been involved in player development and, and just soccer in general for as long as you have, um, what are some of the things that stick out to you in terms of like the evolution of the American soccer player, you know, in like IQ, knowledge exposure what have you what have you found that's been something very telling about how things have transpired with the american player well i think you have more players uh, i think they have more avenues in regards to develop their skills you know there's uh, better coaching than there was when i was growing up i mean a lot of them were your parents uh you know so the skill development has definitely improved because you have players ex-players like myself and and, and other college players that got into coaching and uh, can implement some of the things that they learned with some of the newer stuff that's out there. Uh, but I still think they're, you know, we're still lacking in regards to the tactical knowledge and, and the speed of play and knowing what to do before the ball also. You know, I, I, you know, just watching the Olympic team and listening to their head coach talk about that kind of stuff that, you know, seeing seeing stuff a little bit quicker than than uh, than some of the other countries, uh, but I think it's getting better. I mean, if you look at our national team right now and all the players that are playing overseas, I mean, that's just a, a great indication in regards to you know how how great American soccer is getting these days. Yeah. And so what do you think some of the challenges are for the coaches then to continue to evolve as well with the game? Like as you said, you know what it was when you played. Um, kind of what the coaches were teaching versus what they're teaching now. Talk about how you've seen some of the coaching evolution. Well, I think education-wise, we've been gotten better in, in this country. Uh, I know everything's a business, but I think now uh, when you go to 
the course is now it's more about you learning from them and sharing ideas uh, than you know you passing and just getting a license so i i think the education is getting better uh u.s soccer is doing a better job with that and i also you know i think some some of the drawbacks is uh we still don't have the resources to bring some of the kids in the inner city involved in in the clubs you know in regards to getting them to training sites uh enough training sites i mean you know just to be honest with you even in michigan it's it's tough to get fields and and tough to to get training facilities to to help with the development of other players in michigan so yeah getting more players in and then getting access to more resources correct Correct. Speaking of resources for coaching, talk a little bit about how you started a company and maybe what inspired you to do that and, and how that came about. Well, ba- basically what happened is, uh, uh, Zibby, my partner, Zibby Piaquitz, uh, he's, he's a Canadian out of Windsor and he's a coach. He's a, a licensed coach and uh, uh, he was part of our staff, you know, and as you know, with the pandemic going on and stuff, we have a, a couple coaches in Windsor. They can't get across the border. So, uh, you know, when they were able to, <clears throat> he's a graphics uh, type of person, you know, that's his business, Sibby Graphics. He can do uh, billboards and uh, car wraps, stuff like that. So he's very good in regards to uh, the graphics part of the business. And he was basically making uh, some of those boards on his own, just dry erase boards. So one day he came to practice and, you know, I seen the one that he made for one of our fellow coaches. You know, and and then, you know, we talked about it and I talked to him about it and the idea I had in regards to, you know, losing the magnets. And, and is there any way we can implement, uh, you know, a, a glass where you're using the magnet and move the magnets around? And, uh, you know, I think that sparked, you know, attention from Zebby and myself. And, you know, we we got together and, and uh, to be honest, Zebby's very good with his hands and he's very mechanical. Uh, you know, I, I call him the, the Polish engineer, you know, uh, but he's very good. And uh, he came up with the idea. And, and if you've seen our first board that we came up with compared to the ones we have now, it's like night and day. You're always looking to improve it. You're always looking at uh, correcting some of the things that didn't work well, um, you know, but uh, that idea came from even coaching, you know, uh, always buying those boards and losing the magnets and you know, uh, buying a new board every year. I remember coaching at UAD. I had a bigger, a bigger board on an easel at a hotel room, and I put the shape together of the other team and that, and the magnets were falling down, and the girls were just laughing at me. And it was so basically, at that idea came like somebody's got to come up with this, you know, to correct this issue. And I think it's a, it's been a big issue for all the coaches that have been coaching. Yes. So. Uh, yes, I was going to say so many times you see the, the dry, just the plain dry erase boards, even without magnets and the coach is putting so many things on it. By the time he's, he or she has finished talking that you look at the board and you're like, is this some kind of an abstract uh, art piece or what, what exactly is on that? So not only now have you incorporated the magnets, but you have the dry erase as well um, to kind of complement it. So, so tell us the, the name of the company and maybe a website on, on how people could, could find it and look it up. Yeah, the, the name of the company is nltacticalboard.com. Uh, you know, you could go to our website. We have uh, various different boards with different prices. We're even doing locker room boards for college coaches. 
All right, so the price range can go from $100 to $4,000 uh, Canadian. So if you're looking at American, that's, that's a better price if you're an American. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can go to that website. Uh, we custom make anything. Uh, you know, we start off with one board, our regular board. Now we have a pro board that has magnets on both sides. We have one that's a, a bigger board that uh, coaches love because they can uh, bring it and put it on an easel and run practices with it. And then we have the pro soccer board that uh, is a solid uh, four by eight feet board that we can put in locker rooms. And not only we do on soccer, we start off with soccer, but we can do any sport, basketball, futsal, uh, uh, you know, volleyball. Uh, any type of sport, ice hockey. I mean, we, we just started in, in soccer and most of our business is in soccer, but we haven't even reached out to the other sports yet. Yeah, so so when did you guys start it? Like what year did, were you quote unquote founded? 2019. Early days. And how are things going so far? Great. I mean, uh, we just sat down the other day. I mean, our, our sales have increased uh, dramatically, uh, you know, from the first year. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I won't tell you the numbers on that, but, uh, you know, our sales to this for this year has been uh, is higher than what we did last year already. So the interest is there. I think people are seeing the board. Uh, a lot of the academies, uh, MLS clubs, college colleges, Division One to NINA are, are buying our product. And uh, I, I think once you have our product, You'll see, and, and people will always look at the price, but once they get it, they understand why the price is where it's at. It's a, it's a board that's made to last forever, not a board that's made to last for six months like all the other ones that are out there. The product looks amazing. I mean, you can tell that this is not something just, like you said, made to last one season and then you kind of don't ever use it again. Like, it's it's strong, it's durable, the, the parts are great. It's, it's a high-quality product, so... Um, and I definitely think it's something more people need to take a look at. Yes. I mean, it's, it, you know, it, everybody that we've had, um, the response has been awesome. We've never had a complaint. And, and to be honest, a lot of the people that bought them in the past are buying the pro board now, or we just had a gentleman out of a high school buy two of the pro boards and one of the easel boards for the high school. So, uh, you know, once you get the product, you get used to it. And to be honest, you, I'm hooked. And I used to use the dry eraser a lot and things like that. But, you know, and I know as a coach, you're using formations, phases of play, uh, you know, and, and, and the magnets more than, than using the, uh, the marker. So uh, I think you have both things you can use during the game. And I think in this day and age, anything that you can do as a coach to give the player a visualization of what you're trying to teach is going to be beneficial for their success moving forward. I'm always looking for, for new ways, new trends, new ideas to, to create these new resources for coaches. Yeah. And I remember even going to the coaching courses, you know, uh, you know, one of the big things that they always stress were those coaching boards. So uh, now we have a board that uh, will make it a lot easier for coaches. And, and, and going back to what you were saying in regards to, time that you take you'll probably have five minutes at halftime you know if you're spending two or three minutes putting the magnets together uh with our board it's going to take 30 seconds so uh you know you save time uh you know it was funny in the mls club there was one coach that was using 
our board. And then you can see the other, they moved to the other coach on TV. I can send you the video, but uh, they were setting up another board with the magnets, the assistant. And that guy wasn't ready while the other coach was already going into his speech in regards to what he was trying to do. So uh, it was a great comparison. It was something that you had just talked about earlier on. Are you still coaching with Vardar now? You still you got a couple of those yeah, clubs? Yeah, I, I do a, you know, I, I bounce back. I mean, uh, the problem that we had with our club this year is we had, like I said, we had Zibby, we had uh, Dimitri, one of our other good coaches from Windsor. They weren't able to come across and, and, they basically did four teams and with the pandemic and things like that, uh, we really didn't have tryouts. So we had to, you know, as an owner, I basically do three teams. Now I do two ECNL teams and I do an MLS team. So I've been pretty busy just covering for people and things like that. But, uh, I really enjoy the mix, you know, and I think, you know, both levels are, are, you know, you get great competition. And I think both leagues are, uh, you know, that's probably why both of those leagues are two of the top leagues in, in America right now. And so how have you found some of these players coping with the current environment, with uh, with some of the restrictions, you know, being that close to the Canadian border? And did you have families that were in Canada? And just how is everybody well, I, I think it's tough. You know, uh, you know, uh, our kids get tested every week. And, uh, you know, you, you, if one kid gets tested positive, the whole team has to shut down for 10 days, you know, it eliminates games. Uh, you know, these kids want to play. Uh, but you know, I think we've managed, I, I think, uh, we're going to get through this. I think it's going to get better, you know, with more people, you know, taking vaccines and, and wearing a mask and taking all these preventive measures, uh, while we practice and go to games, I think, uh, you know, I think it's just going to be part of life and we just have to going to have to get through it. But it has been tough. And like you mentioned, it's, it, we've created this supportive environment even between competing clubs. You know, like like you said, you, you feel like your relationship with the directors at Wolves is fantastic and you guys are, are helping each other. And it's not always been the case where competing clubs are, are there to help each other out. Do you think that th- maybe the environment now has kind of contributed to that or? Yeah, I think. You know, when you look at it, and I think when you get older, when you look at it, we're all in this for the for the same reason, to develop players, get them in college. And if they do end up being professionals, then that's and then that's great. But I, I think our main goal is to uh, do the best job we can developing players. And if some end up being on the Olympic team or pro teams or are successful in college and get a great degree and end up being great, great people down the road ambassadors of our country, then, then I think we've done our job. So I think, you know, with the older you get, I think the competitiveness, you know, you want to compete, you want to win. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want to develop good people. Talk about a little bit about some of the relationships you have for that pathway for the kids to play in college. I mean, I know that, uh, that Michigan state, like Damon's usually got a lot of Vardar and, and, kids on that make it at Michigan state, your connections with Oakland, your connections with uh, Detroit, like, does that help open some of those pathways up for kids and how are your relationships with those coaches? Great. I think, you know, I think our relationships are with every school that's in, in Michigan and, and even out of state. Uh, you know, there's always, like I tell our kids all the time, even our ECNL kids, you know, there's always a spot for you. If it's division one, division two, division three, Damon, a matter of fact, just, got one of our better players out of the academy the other day that got committed to him. So, uh, 
you know, I mean, you know, and then we have players that play at U of M. Uh, you know, I think when when we talk to these coaches, we got to make we try to make sure that it's the right fit for the kid academically and athletically. So but at the end of the day, it's their choice. So, uh, you know, we try to give them options. We communicate with coaches and, uh, you know, after they make a visit, it really comes down to them making that decision. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head with it being the right fit. You know, like not getting carried away with just the name of the school or what division it's in, what league it plays in, but like the overall environment of the school, the population, the city, the, you know, everything about the school. Cause it's like those, those four years are extremely impressionable, you know, on the, the development of the individual. So making sure that that, that environment is the right fit is massive. Yeah. And we always stress that, you know, to, to our players that, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge commitment to be on a, a college soccer team, you know, because it's gotta be a complete balance. So at the end of the day, you injure your knee, you gotta have education when you get out. So, uh, you know, we, we, we try to try to educate them on that, that because we have a lot of coaches or ex division one players and ex athletes that played at Oakland at Michigan state and, and, and various other divisions. So, um, I think, I think it's tough now, uh, you know, when they make a decision, because I think these players, you know, with the portal now where they can transfer anywhere, if they're not happy, uh, yeah. I think it makes it difficult yeah. for college coaches, uh, you know, and like I said, the culture is different. You know, it's not necessarily they make a commitment to one school. You see kids transferring every year. So uh, we, we try to guide them. But at the end of the day, it just it comes down to their their decision. And uh, we we try to just guide them and make sure that they're doing the right thing for themselves. Yeah, that that culture has definitely changed, I would say. You know, it used to be almost frowned upon for somebody to transfer. It's like, ah, oh, there must be something wrong with that player if they're trying to transfer. Or they're a problem or something like that. Whereas now, players transferring is just common. I mean, it, it's happening so often and so frequent. Yeah, but like I said, when I grew up, your word meant something. So, you know, if, if I decided I was going to go to Oakland, my dad would cringe if I decided to transfer anywhere. You know, and and, it, and in those days, you <laughs> couldn't transfer. You had to sit out a year. So, but, you know, right. in those days, your word was something. And now it's more, well, I'm not happy. I don't like the coach. So, you know, I'm going to either transfer or see what I can do to get rid of the coach. <laughs> you know? so, right. Created yeah, a new landscape. For so, sure. you know, it is what it is. You just got to adapt, and, you know, and just get better. Tell me a little bit about what it was like having a player like Brian Mazinoff on your on your club team. <laughs> well, I mean, people that to to be honest here, like Brian played for I think it was with Carpathia Kickers or somewhere. It was a he was a skinny little kid and things like that when he was really young, like when he was fourteen to fifteen. You know, he was still skinny, but he he had the technical ability. But I remember driving by. You know, it was in the middle of the winter time. There was. You know, there's snow on the ground, stuff like that. And I'm seeing somebody training outside, you know, and I'm going, man, who's that crazy kid, you know, and and drove by and, and who was it? it was Brian. So people think that everything that he's accomplished, uh, you know, was a natural ability. I mean, that he put every, you know, he trained every day, basically. And and he became the player he was because of work ethic and, and 
and the way, you know, that the way he trained and anybody that knows Brian Masonoff will tell you that he's a class act. One of the best kids we ever had in our club and, you know, probably one of the better coaches, you know, most successful players or coaches that we've had in our club. I think that's a, such a great message for the, for the player, the young uh, athletes listening that it's the excuse of like, well, they're so, they're just naturally better than me, but you have somebody like that, that shows you that it's, you put it on your own shoulders. It's what are you doing? You're going out and working and, and Brian wanted it so bad that he made yes, it happen absolutely. And, and, and you see that every day, even with, you know, people like Kobe Bryant getting up at four in the morning, you know, training four times so he can have two more training sessions more than the next guy, you know, and that's a guy that didn't even have to do it, you know, but he did it because he wanted to be the best. Uh, but, you know, we had even Caleb Porter, you know, was an ex-Varder guy, you know, uh, you know, didn't make it to the pro level that Brian did, but now one of the best coaches ever in U.S. soccer. So, uh, you know, and a lot of those guys, the success that they've, they've gotten is through hard work. You know, I remember when Caleb was with Indiana, he was always calling about kids, you know, and always following up. You know, he was a great recruiter for Indiana. So, you know, there's, you know, that's why when he went to Akron, you knew he was going to be successful just because he was a great recruiter. And, you know, now he's one of the better coaches out there, too. So we had a, we had a lot of ex-players that became MLS coaches, too. Those people are, are fun to be around, right? Because that type of mentality and attitude, it's infectious. Yeah, I mean, and they're different personalities, you know. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, some people don't like certain people because they're arrogant or they're this way or that way. But the bottom line is, you know, I respect those people because they're successful and they're doing something right or they wouldn't be in those positions, you know. So uh, you always learn. You know, I always say coaching's about stealing material from the next coach. Uh, everybody's going to have their own style in that, but, uh, you know, nobody invented a certain drill. I mean, somebody found that drill somewhere, you know, you know and you implement yeah. it. So I, I think, you know, I think being a good coach, even at my age, I mean, you're always looking to get better, you know, so and learning. So yeah, if, you, if you don't, then you won't be better. And we've been speaking with Michael Lupinek, founder of Vardar Soccer Club and co-founder with Zivi Piakowicz of NL Tactical Board. Thanks for listening to Down the Tunnel. I'm Keen Barclay. Join us again next time as we talk all things soccer. Send your comments and questions to downthetunnel at gmail.com.